Good to see you out. Let's take our Bibles go to Matthew chapter 12. That's where we're going to be today in the Gospel of Matthew and our journey all the way through the Bible. We are presently in the book of Matthew on Sunday morning, so we're going to be looking at chapter 12, the first 14 verses of Matthew chapter 12. So let me read. You follow along. I'm reading from New King James, Matthew 12, verse 1. It says, At that time... Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, underline that word Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of... The Sabbath, verse 9. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? And then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. What was the main beef that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had with Jesus? They thought that he was violating the Sabbath laws by strolling through grain fields on the Sabbath and plucking the heads of the grain, by healing this man in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And so we're going to talk about what all this means. The word Sabbath is found eight times in the passages I just read there with you from verses 1 to 14. Eight times the word Sabbath is repeated. And so these verses here are about perceived, perceived violations of the Sabbath law that Jesus and his disciples committed. But exactly what is the Sabbath law? And why did it seem that Jesus and his disciples had violated it? And then what is, what is the big picture for us today in regards to this topic? So we're going to answer these questions in our study today that I've entitled, Finding Rest for Your Soul. Finding Rest for Your Soul. Let's pray. Father, as we come into your house, we just want to quiet ourselves right now, and Lord, help us to put away the things that might preoccupy our minds, that we might just focus on you and on your word and what you would want to say to each of us today. We thank you that you still speak to us, that still small voice, the way that you can bear witness with our spirit, what you want us to hear, and we pray that we would have ears to hear and a heart that would receive whatever you want to show us today in our lives. So thank you for this time we can gather together. We continue to pray for the healing of our nation. Lord, that you would mend divisions and that you would just uh, work out your purposes for your glory. 
Uh, We pray that you would put an end to this virus, Lord, that you would heal those who are sick and keep well those who aren't. And uh, Lord, we just continue to trust you in very uh, interesting times. Uh, Lord, we lean on you and we thank you for this time. We can gather in your house and study together. Bless this time in your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Uh, The first time I went to Israel was about 22 years ago, and uh, I was staying at a hotel along the Sea of Galilee uh, over Shabbat. Now, Shabbat is just a Hebrew word that means the Sabbath, and Sabbath begins sundown on Friday and ends sundown on Saturday. And little did I know uh, that one of the Shabbat laws uh, was and is that you cannot kindle a fire on the Sabbath. Now, why would that be important for me to know staying in a hotel that you're not supposed to kindle a fire? It's not like any of us are going to go to the lobby and, you know, light a match and start a campfire. But it was an important Shabbat law that I came to understand and I I came to learn about it the hard way. And here's what happened. So I'm staying there over Shabbat and I get on the elevator to go up to my room after um, eating in the dining hall. And I was staying on the fifth floor And uh, I got on the elevator first, and other people came after me. And so you know how that is. When you get in an elevator first, you kind of move to the back wall. But now that means you're not near the buttons to press the number for your floor. So I just kindly said to whoever was closest to the button panel, uh, five, please. And they all just kind of turned around and looked at me and nodded. And nobody pressed a button. And I thought, well, you know, almost everybody in Israel knows English, but I thought, you know, maybe they don't. So I knew enough Hebrew. I knew enough to, to say the number five and to say the number please. And so I was like, Chamesh, Bavakasha? Still nothing. They just smiled and looked at me. Nobody pressed a button. And then the doors of the elevator closed and up we went. And then we got to the first floor and the doors opened. And nobody got on, and nobody got off, and then the doors shut, went up to the second floor, the doors opened, nobody got on, nobody got off, the doors shut, got up to the third floor, finally, some people got on, a few people shuffled off, nobody's pressing buttons, and this is the way the elevator went, up to every single floor, opening and closing, no one touching buttons. So what I came to learn was that every hotel on Shabbat has one of their elevators designated as a Shabbat elevator. A Shabbat elevator is programmed so that you don't have to do any work because it's forbidden to do work on the Sabbath. It's amazing. And so one of the elevators will open and close at every floor, whether you get on or get off. And it goes all the way up, and it comes all the way down, and it repeats it all day long on Shabbat. I had gotten onto the Shabbat elevator, and I didn't know. So it's going up every single floor like this. Now, here's the real nuance of the Shabbat law. When you press a button for the floor that you want to go to, you are generating an electrical spark. And under the Shabbat laws, you cannot start a spark because that's kindling a fire. That's against Shabbat laws. Now you know. 
And now when we go to Israel, since learning that 22 years ago, I always tell our group when we're at a hotel on Shabbat, don't get on the Shabbat elevator. Especially if you're at the top floor, you might as well pack a lunch. It's going to take a long while for you to eventually get there. And so, unfortunately, over the years, what God intended as something beneficial to people, the Sabbath, has over time, for some, been reduced to simply a bunch of rules and regulations that have become burdensome, or for others, something that is just completely ignored altogether. So first, a little background on Sabbath, and then we'll talk about our story here in Matthew 12 and how all of this applies to us. The Sabbath, again, was intended as a a time of rest that God put into his law for our benefit. And there are two aspects to the benefit that we get from Sabbath. One is physical and one is spiritual. There's There's a physical benefit to Sabbath. There's a spiritual benefit to Sabbath. And it follows the example that God set for us after six days of creation. The Bible says on the seventh day, He rested. You don't need to turn there, but the reference is Genesis 2, 2, and I'll read it to you. It says, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. The verb to rest in Hebrew is Shabbat. That's where we get our English word Sabbath. It means to rest. Now, when God rested on the seventh day after the six days of creation, it wasn't that he needed a break, that he was tired and needed a nap because whoo, after creation, six days, that's a little tiring. It's not, it's not like God gets tired. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. The idea behind the word Shabbat to rest in its original form in Genesis 2-2 is the idea that he paused to enjoy, to reflect upon and to celebrate what he had done. And to that end, Sabbath for us should include the same element. Sabbath for us should include a time when we pause to reflect upon, to enjoy, and to celebrate the goodness of God. That is in part why we come to church. When we come to church, we are in effect putting our busy lives on pause long enough that we can gather together, worship the Lord, study the Bible, and in doing so, we are pausing to enjoy, to reflect upon, to celebrate the goodness of God. And even though Sabbath day, still technically speaking, is Saturday, ever since Christ rose from the dead, what you begin to see in the early church is that they started making Sunday, because that's when he rose from the dead, they started making Sunday a day of celebration, a day of worship. And so we've carried on that tradition ever since the book of Acts, when the early church started to gather on Sundays to continually remember the resurrection of Christ, which occurred on a Sunday. So for most Protestants, not all, Seventh-day Adventists don't practice this, but for most Protestants, our Sunday is our Sabbath. It is a time when we put kind of life on pause a little bit. We gather together, we enjoy, we reflect upon, we celebrate the goodness of God. So a typical example of a good Sabbath day to really do these things would be this. You come to church just like you're doing today. 
You spend that time of your morning, you, you worship the Lord, you enjoy his goodness, you celebrate his goodness, you reflect upon his goodness, okay? But then you keep work to a minimum, so on your way home, you pick up a bucket of chicken from Popeyes, from heathens who work at Popeyes, because they don't celebrate the Sabbath. That's why Chick-fil-A is closed, because they do. Take it home, have other people cook your lunch, Right? Then watch some football and take a nap. That's a good Sabbath day right there, my friends. That's in the Bible. I'm telling you what. That's a good Sabbath day. Now, in all honesty, that whole part about taking a nap part, okay, that is an aspect that is beneficial to us as, as to the Sabbath. Because, again, one aspect of the importance of the Sabbath is physical rest, God knows that we need at least one day out of seven to be off, to have a time when we can recharge our batteries and just relax a little bit. Why? Because we get tired. We get sleep deprived. Uh, We get overworked. We have expressions like, I've been burning the midnight oil. Or I'm burning the candle at both ends. All that talk of burning leads to burn out. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we live like that, I'm going to burn the midnight oil, burning the candle at both ends. Yeah, you're going to burn out. And that's what happens to us. And so God put a pause button for our benefit in his word so that if we will observe it, it will keep us from burning out. I mean, think about small appliances that you have around your house that now have safety valves that they'll automatically shut off lest they burn out or burn up. You know, something like coffee pots now. Coffee pots, they they didn't used to make coffee pots where it had, you know, automatic turn off. You have to remember to always turn off the coffee pot. Not now. Now today they have coffee pots that will turn off after a period of time so that you don't leave it on all day and bake the thing to death. Irons, when you use irons, they have timers on them now. Electric blankets, you can forget to get up in the morning, turn off your electric blanket. It'll go off all by itself. If you, if you knock over a space heater, space heaters now have these protective mechanisms in them that if the space heater falls over, it will automatically shut off your hair dryer. If you run that hair dryer at a thousand miles an hour on full blown hot, it will stop on you and it will, won't come back on till it's jolly well ready. <laughs> Even your computer has sleep mode or hibernate mode. So all these different things have these built in mechanisms to prevent them from burning out, but not you and me. No, no, not us. Oh, we're just going to go, go, go and keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going until your safety valve goes off and it's called death. (laughs) That's what happens. You'll die. Most Americans don't know how to rest until they're dead. Think about even how many expressions we have talking about death that the word rest is in the expression. When we talk about how somebody has died, we're like, oh, God, rest his soul. Yeah, because that's the only time that dude's ever going to rest. R.I.P. on tombstones, rest in peace. Finally, we bury somebody, we say, we laid them to rest, right? That's the only time people in America learn how to actually rest. We need to learn to relax, just relax. 
Now, not as much as the French. <laughs> but somewhere in between the French and Western civilization just always on the run. I mean, think about the French for a minute. Think about the French. They just sit around, they're like, Alouette, gentil alouette. Alouette, je te plumerai. Je te plumerai. You know what that song is about? It's about taking time in your spare moments to pluck feathers from a bird. That's what that song is about. Je te plumerai. I'm going to pluck feathers from a bird in between sipping wine, eating cheese and croissants. But Americans, we're not singing Alouette, Junti Alouette. We're singing, I'll be working on the railroad all the live long day. I'll be working on the railroad just to pass my time away. You don't even know how to relax. You have some spare time on your hands. You know what we ought to do? We ought to go work on the railroad. That's what we need to do. We got some spare time on our hands. Let's go work on the railroad. Why? So some, somewhere between the French and Western civilization that's always on the move, always on the go, we have to learn to relax a little bit. And this is why God has inserted the Sabbath into his word. It's a gift. It's a gift to us. And because it's a gift, it's something beneficial for us. It makes sense that we can do beneficial and necessary things on the Sabbath without violating it. Because it is a good day for our good, and so we can do good. And this brings us to our story. Jesus here is being accused by the religious leaders of violating the Sabbath because the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who restrict adherence to the letter of the law, they saw what Jesus was doing and they saw it as work because they didn't understand the real purpose behind the Sabbath. So Jesus is strolling through the grain fields with his disciples. They're plucking off the heads of of probably wheat. King James Bible says corn. All it means is the the grain uh, that that was there on the head of the wheat. And they were just going through the wheat field, uh, picking off the heads of, of the wheat stalks and rubbing them in their hands, separating the wheat from the chaff, eating the kernels. And the Pharisees saw this as threshing. You're threshing on the Sabbath. No, we're just hungry. You're threshing on the Sabbath. That's what they accused him of. Then Jesus goes into the synagogue. There's a guy with a withered hand, some kind of infirmity. And it's the Sabbath, though. And so they try to accuse him. They try to set him up. The Pharisees are like, what what should you do? Should you heal this guy on the Sabbath? What's the right thing to do? And Jesus heals the guy. And now they accuse him, you're doing work. You're doing work on the Sabbath. They were, they were more interested in the letter of the law than the well-being of that man who needed a healing. And so the religious leaders of Jesus' day had reduced the Sabbath to a bunch of rules and regulations that were burdensome rather than understanding God's original intent and design behind it as something beneficial for mankind both physically and spiritually. Now, here is the first time that God instructs the Sabbath day. I'm going to read it to you from Exodus chapter 20. You don't need to turn there. It's the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus 20, verses 8 and 9, it says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Okay, wait. The religious leaders wondered. We hear what you're saying, Lord. The seventh day you shall do no work, but what exactly constitutes work? 
So the religious leaders got together centuries ago, and they wrote a commentary on the law called the Mishnah. It took about 300 years to compose. They started it around 200 BC. They finished it about 135 AD. So it was still being composed in the days of Jesus. But by, and, and even before the days of Jesus, but by and large, the Mishnah was a commentary from religious scholars and leaders and rabbis of the day. It was not scripture itself, commentaries. And it was imposed upon people as if it were scripture. And the commentaries were intended to kind of amplify and expound upon the word of God. Well, this is what this means, and this is what this means. And here's what they ended up doing. In the Mishnah, they ended up writing, are you ready? 24 chapters on what work is or what work is not in relation to the Sabbath. 24 chapters, which means now if people are going to abide by the Mishnah, that they have a bunch of strict rules and regulations as it regards the Sabbath. I'm going to read some of these to you from from the Mishnah. Uh, You'll you'll get a charge out of these. Okay, really, here's, here's how they are. You could not, for example, these are just a few examples. You could not carry a load on the Sabbath. Definition of a load, they got together, they decided anything more than the weight of one dried fig. You cannot carry. You could not throw hot water. If you threw hot water out, that was considered cleaning. That's work. You could not pick fruit or lift it from the ground. That's considered reaping, not on the Sabbath. You could not fish. That was ranked with harvesting. You could not rub the head of wheat together like Jesus was doing. That's threshing. You could not drop two seeds. You could drop one, but if you dropped more than one seed, it was considered sowing. You could spit on a stone, but not on the ground. The spitball on dirt could roll and create a furrow. That's plowing. I'm not making this up. You hunters will love this one. If a deer ran into your house, let's say you had the door open, and a deer just like, la, 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 and just comes running into your house. If a deer ran into your house, you could not shut the door. That's considered hunting. (laughs) You ladies are like this one. A woman was forbidden on the Sabbath to look into a mirror because she'd be tempted to pluck a gray hair. That's harvesting. (laughs) It's in the Mishnah. I'm not making it up. You could not drag a chair in the dirt. The ruts were considered plowing. That's just a few. 24 chapters like this. You get the idea here? So the religious leaders had taken a gift that God had originally given, and they made it so complicated that it became a burden. But Jesus said about the Sabbath in Mark 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God prescribed a day for us, but not to the exclusion of doing good and necessary things. And so when the religious leaders were charging Jesus with violating the Sabbath, he responds by giving them three examples. The first one there in chapter 12 is in verse 3. He calls them to remember a story that's actually in our Bibles in 1 Samuel chapter 21, It's when David and his fighting men were famished, and they were near the house of the Lord. They had no food, and so David went in and asked the priest for the showbread. The showbread was consecrated bread. There were 12 loaves 
that the priest would put out every day on a table in the presence of the Lord. It was a reminder of God's provision as the bread of life and 12, a reminder of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then at the end of the day, when they would change out the old bread and put in the new bread the next day, the priests were allowed to eat the bread, but it was consecrated bread. It was like sacred bread. No one else was supposed to eat it except the priests. But on this one day, for Samuel 21, David and his fighting men go in, they're famished. And so the priest says, well, you can have the bread. And they didn't violate the Sabbath. Why? Because Jesus is pointing out by recalling that story that necessity trumps legality. There's a necessity here. People are famished. So it's okay. You don't have to be so legalistic to think only the priests are entitled to eat this. It's okay. We can let David and his fighting men eat this bread. It's going to be all right. And then Jesus points out another example further down in chapter 12. He says, the priests, he said, think about the priests and how they profane the Sabbath. And he says, yet they are innocent. Now, what does he mean? How do priests profane the Sabbath? Because when a priest was doing his duty, he was working on the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying, listen, you know, priests have to do their duties. They're working on the Sabbath. They're not violating the Sabbath. It's part of their responsibility in serving the Lord. And then the third example he gives is, what about a sheep? You have a, you have a sheep and it falls into a pit and it, and it can't get out of that pit. You know, what are you supposed to do? Just leave it there? No, that would be bad. And so you have to, you have to pull that sheep out. Pull the sheep out even though it's the Sabbath. Go ahead, take the sheep out of the pit. And he adds there, by the way, how much more valuable is a man than a sheep? This is why he could go ahead and heal the, the man with the, the withered arm because he's just doing something good and man's more valuable than, than a sheep. And then Jesus adds there in verse 12, therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So, one aspect of the benefit of the Sabbath is for our physical rest. But there's a greater rest that all of us need more than physical rest and that's Spiritual rest. That's the kind of rest that we need for our soul. The kind of rest, the kind of peace that only comes in a relationship with Jesus. This is why Jesus talks about the kind of rest that he offers at the end of chapter 11 that segues into chapter 12. Would you glance back in your Bibles at the way chapter 11 ends with me? Because it segues right into our story into chapter 12, and I want you to see the context of what he's talking about. At the end of Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus says some very familiar words to many of you, I'm sure. Matthew eleven twenty-eight, he says, Come to me, all who, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now Jesus uses here a farming metaphor. A yoke, of course, is a wooden harness that connected two oxen together in their work. They would plow a field together harnessed by a yoke. And typically, whenever a farmer would harness two oxen together... One would be older, larger, 
um, more experienced in the field, and the older one, the larger one, would bear the, the brunt of the workload. That is the picture Jesus is using of himself. That's the picture of Jesus. The other ox that was connected to the older, more experienced one who carried more of the workload, that made it possible for the second ox to have a lighter load. It was uh, then an opportunity to be led gently along by the more mature one, the more experienced one, the greater one, so that the second ox could just have a more of a an easier, more restful uh, job being harnessed to the first one. That's a picture of us. In other words, what Jesus is trying to tell us is that there is a restlessness that runs deep in the human soul that can only be satisfied when you are harnessed with Jesus. There's a deep restlessness in the heart of every human being that can only be satisfied when you are harnessed to Jesus. He has done all the work for us. We're just along for the ride. He died on a cross for our sins so that we can find rest for our souls in a relationship with him. But in the remaining few minutes we have, I'm going to share three quick points about what often hinders entering God's rest. There are three things that typically hinder entering that kind of rest. Number one is unrepentant sin. Sin separates us from God. Sin is the root cause for all the restlessness in our lives. And to repent means that we turn from sin and turn to God. It is the first step in a relationship with Him. Repent. In Acts 3.19, it says, Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Doesn't that sound wonderful? I mean, how many of us could say, I could use some times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord? Well, Acts 3.19 says you want to get to that point. It begins with repent. We have to leave our sin. We have to turn from our sin, turn towards God, ask Him to forgive us of our sins. When we get right with God, then we have peace with God. If we're not right with God, we don't have peace. We're just restless. So unrepentant sin often hinders us from entering that rest. Number two, unforgiving self. When we confess our sins to God, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's no problem with God forgiving us of our sins when we come to him and we humble ourselves and we say, Lord, forgive me of our sins. You know, the greater difficulty in terms of forgiveness is forgiving ourselves. That's what I mean here by point number two, unforgiving self. When we don't forgive ourselves, even after God has forgiven us, we don't really experience the kind of rest that he wants us to have. Now listen, we should never see ourselves any more than the way God sees us, but neither should we see ourselves any less than the way God sees us. If we really want to experience that rest in a relationship with him, we have to learn to see ourselves the way he sees us. Loved, forgiven, redeemed. Loved, forgiven, redeemed. Sometimes we have less mercy for ourselves than what God has given us. And we rob ourselves of entering that rest. 
because we can't seem to forgive ourselves. It's important that we understand that when he forgives us, we need to forgive ourselves as well. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy who whispers in your ear that you're not loved, you're not forgiven, and you're not redeemed. If you think you aren't worthy, fine, that's a fact. None of us is worthy, but because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, he has made us worthy in him. And in fact, when Jesus is speaking of the redeemed in Revelation 3, verse 4, he says, and they shall walk with me in white, speaking about the, the white robes of righteousness that we will be uh, wearing in his presence, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy, Revelation 3, 4. Our worthiness, not in ourselves, in him, but if we don't see ourselves as loved, forgiven, and redeemed, If we have this unforgiving mindset about ourselves, then we will never really enter his rest. And the last one is an unbelieving soul. Because you will not find rest for your soul if you don't believe with your soul. And when we say soul, we're talking about heart and mind. We have to engage the heart and mind to understand and to believe that Jesus loves us, died on a cross for us, and wants relationship with us. You have to believe in order to receive. In John 1, 12, it says, Yet to all who received him, to them that believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And in Hebrews chapter 4, when the writer of Hebrews was talking all about the same kind of Sabbath rest, entering the rest that we need in him for our souls, in Hebrews 4, 3, it says, For we who have believed do enter that rest. But unbelief robs us of that rest. There are a lot of tired and weary people in this world. A lot of tired and weary people in this world. And maybe you're one of them. Tired of running. Tired of pretending. Tired of feeling empty or guilty. Tired of playing games with God. Tired of the lies. Tired of the double life. Jesus invites you to come to him and find rest for your souls. Repent of your sin. Believe with your heart. Accept Jesus as Lord. And when he forgives you, forgive yourself and enter into his rest for your soul. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for how you have provided for us the ultimate rest. And Lord, it's important that we understand the the rest that we need physically. We thank you that you've included the Sabbath rest in your word so that we might be refreshed, that we might learn how to physically just be able to relax from time to time, to give you one out of seven, to enjoy you, to reflect upon you and your goodness, to celebrate you, and at the same time to find rest for ourselves physically. But there is a greater rest, even more than physical rest that we're in need of, Lord. And that's rest for our souls. There are some here today listening to this Bible study. They're not at peace with you. They know it. They're restless. They don't have rest. And they're tired. They're weary. They're tired of the games. They're tired of the the guilt, the shame. They're tired of the lies. They're tired of the double life. They're tired of just living a restless and weary life. 
And I pray today, Lord, would be a day that you would reveal yourself to them in a way that they would just be willing to say yes to you. That they would open their hearts and their minds to trust you as Lord and Savior. To find forgiveness of sins and to to have the hope in their hearts knowing that they are loved and forgiven and redeemed. I'm going to pause in my prayer right now with your head still bowed, eyes still closed, speaking to those of you here and even those of you watching online. If you are not at rest in your soul because you don't have peace with God, get right with Him today. You can make a decision right now, right here, to trust Christ as your Savior. It begins with a decision. The journey with Christ begins with a decision. Make that decision right now. I want to to invite you to pray a prayer to begin that journey to make a decision for Christ. And I'm going to lead in a prayer. And if you want to pray this with me, either here or at home, you can pray it. You can pray this prayer with me. You can whisper it as a prayer that you pray with me to the Lord. And you can begin that decision right now, right here, to trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So pray this prayer with me if that's your desire. Just whisper this prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on a cross for me. I'm a sinner like everyone else. But I need rest for my soul. So I repent of my sin. I confess my sin. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse my heart. I receive you and I accept you by faith. I believe that you died on a cross for me. And by faith, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I pray that you would help me to forgive myself in the same way you have forgiven me. No more guilt, no more shame, no more condemnation. I am loved, forgiven, and redeemed by Jesus. And I trust you today as rest for my soul. In your name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Listen, before you're dismissed, if you prayed that prayer with me, there's going to be a pastor down front here to hand out a Bible. Just to give you a free Bible, we don't want anything from you. It's just a free Bible for you to remember today's decision. So if you prayed that prayer, you want a Bible, make your way down after the service. Get one from one of the pastors. God bless you all. Have a great day. God bless you. And go in the rest of the Lord Jesus. Amen.